not good enough. An inadequate response to inadequate responses. I'm Mitch Alexander. I'm Tom Lang. And I'm Evie. We've got Isaac in our headphones, keeping us bastards as honest as he can. Tom McLean is out on assignment this week, but joining us as a uh, co-host this week, you might know him as Thomas Violence on Twitter. He is one of the co-hosts of Bunta Vista. It's Ben McClay. Hey, man. Hey, how you doing? I'm good, man. Thanks for coming on. How is, uh, how's your 2021 so far? In a, in a word. Great. Single word. <laughs> you can't just ask people how the 2021 is. I can and will. How's yours, Lang? Look. Uh, oh, look. That's a good word. Look. Hey, so we've got a... <laughs> but no, we, we appreciate you, you uh, coming on, man. Starting the year strong uh, with the podcast solidarity. That's what I think is really important for 2021 is just making sure everyone has a podcast and we're all talking to each other. <laughs> yeah. If everyone has a podcast, no one has a podcast. And therefore, we've solved the podcast problem <laughs> once and for all. <laughs> I'm just really pleased that we've increased the Queenslander quotient on this podcast very dramatically. That's good. Uh, I'm aiming for 100% saturation of all podcasts have at least one Queenslander on them, but uh, there's a lot of international ones that don't even know what that means, so it's taking a lot of time. (laughs) Yeah, it's especially hard with COVID because you had like those splinter cells going out there as people with fake American accents. You get them on the past, like, oh, g'day, cobbers. It's like, oh, no. (laughs) That's what I waited for. It's like the one guy that's on like 99% invisible, Roman Mars, is like, and this was was a beautiful element design and this one guy in the background being like yeah it was fucking sick <laughs> <laughs> i i'm i'm actually i am secretly a queenslander i moved out of there you know early 20s to come to melbourne because that was my people and i really felt it but i i do notice whenever i go overseas the queenslander comes out and it's very embarrassing like mm. i feel like the australian version of a texan saying yeehaw <laughs> but it is like oath cunt whenever i like i'm trying to make friends with people Ugh, i'm so queensland it happens to me every time as well anytime i've gone over the u.s i'm like i feel like i'm a relatively normal talking person most of the time and then i like just go up to a bar and be like yeah g'day (laughs) (laughs) so you've got beers here then that's sick you you become very conscious of how many times you say mate without realizing it and it's like wait did i Mm. always say that i i i I don't know if you guys have the same thing i do not say g'day in australia and it's pretty much by every third word when I go overseas and it's very troubling the way that comes out. You find yourself watching yourself glassing someone as if it's someone else's hand. <laughs> I find myself saying day to people only when I'm taken by surprise and I don't know why that is. <laughs> like I was taking the bins out last night and like walked around the corner and almost ran into one of my neighbours and like the reflexive response from my body was just, oh, g'day. <laughs> that is not what I would say under normal circumstances in the silence. <laughs> Yeah, g'day is a felt sense. It's not a. It's not a cognitive word. It's just a what you would call in the nineteen twenties an ejaculation. Mm. G'day. <laughs> it's the verbal equivalent of a frill neck lizard. <laughs> <laughs> Some good news for the start of 2021. In a sense, uh, 46 of the asylum seekers who were in the country on uh, from the Medivac um, uh, transfer have been released from years of hotel prison, um, which is really, really good. It's entirely unexpected. These are part of the people who were told repeatedly, you yeah. will never be resettled in this country in what is, you know, pretty much the literal definition of torture. Um, They've been held in um, hotels in suburbs of Melbourne, like around the corner from a lot of our houses, some of them for up to eight years. And uh, unexpectedly, just the other day, um, 46 of them were released on six-month bridging visas, which means they are out in the community. They are able to do, obviously, much more than they were in fucking hotel quarantine. 
um, and they have six months essentially to try and get their uh, affairs in order, try to get their cases in front of courts and to hopefully, fingers fucking crossed, be settled into the community in a very, like what's a very normal and sensible thing to do. One of the crazy things um, I just learnt while we were looking up just the details of this particular bridging visa is that, of course, Australia being Australia, there are like 10 dozen different kinds of bridging visas. There's not just one. You have to have like, this is bridging visa E that allows you to stay lawfully in Australia while you make arrangements to leave, finalise your immigration matter or wait for an immigration decision. So there's not just a, okay, here is a bridging visa so you're, you know, lawfully allowed to stay in the country and be in the community. It has to be, like, very specific to, like, point you out as a, we didn't really want you here, but now we have to make a decision on keeping you here, which is, ugh, Australia's so terrible. Look, I mean, I understand that you need some level of bureaucracy in your immigration system, but, yeah, it's insane that they haven't been on these visas for... You could have had them on these visas instead of being stuck in hotel prison for ages already. Yeah. But then you're not destroying some people, so... Mm. You know, like, yeah. where's the fun? The fun part of that for the government is just gone. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But they've done this great Hunger Games thing where they've gone, well, we'll let these guys out, but with the purpose of destroying some other people even more because they kept 14 refugees in the hotels for no apparent reason. They just went, you guys get to go. You guys have to stay. Why? That's nah, for us to know. Which is literally torture. They And they, they explicitly told these other 14 refugees, after the announcement that some of them were being released, oh, that God. they won't be, but didn't, but didn't tell them why. That is cruel and unusual torture. That mm. is like that type of like uh, unlawful detainment where you don't know how long you're in there for or why is fucking torture. But I don't know. Years ago, the UN and the, I mean they did it a few days ago. They've been doing it for years. The UN keeps saying, "Hey, you're torturing people," and our successive mm. prime ministers just keep going, "Oh, we don't like being lectured by the bloody UN." Uh. Human rights. The reason why this fucking just ethered me as well was that Peter Dutton, human human evil potato man, was on 2GB talking about why they were released and he said it was for economic reasons, as if all of a sudden this is a brand new thing in 2021 as opposed to something people have been saying since the fucking Howard years. He finally checked his receipts. It's just... Dutton had the fucking audacity to talk to Ray Hadley and to and to say it's cheaper for people to be in the community than it is to be at a hotel or for us to be paying for them to be in detention. It, some of them have been in there for eight years. Mm. At what point did the fucking line cross over the non-profitable part? How is it like, I mean, if you're going to make that sort of an evaluation here, paying, what was it, $160 million to reopen Christmas Island to put four yeah, people there? Yeah, yeah. Like, that doesn't seem economically effective. And you they've could done probably... that repeatedly. Yeah, I, I don't understand how why this is the one where they're like, oh, nah. And my feeling is basically is like the, like the contracts that they have with the hotels have probably gone to shit. Like, mm. up until like a couple of months ago, they were at the Mantra that was in Preston. Um, and that contract came to an end, which is why they were currently in this hotel um, in in the CBD. Um, and the owners of these hotels, both the actual sort of chain of hotels as well as the franchisees, have been getting immense public pressure to say, you need to get rid of these contracts, this is inhumane, you're yeah. profiting mm. off people suffering. Um, and some of them have been defensive. I know that there's one... 
that uh, Sue Bolton, who's uh, the member for Moreland, uh, discovered that there was a, um, a similar one of these hotels um, housing uh, prisoners in Coburg. And that the owner of that hotel basically said, well, we've had a really hard time during COVID, so we had no choice but to accept this extremely lucrative contract mm. from the government. Yeah. But to be a prison. Fuck me. <laughs> so I, I think that... Jesus. Yeah, I think that like part of the decision is basically hotels are saying, you know, we're going to lose customers, therefore we can't have your hotel prison. And so they're, they're, there's no other sort of recourse for the government other than to sort of admit defeat in the end. Yeah, it's definitely not economic. Which is extremely grim, but also, like, it it, it also shows that the pressure works. Yeah. Yeah. That's the main thing. So, speaking of pressure, there is a uh, rally at the Park Hotel at 2pm on January 30th. We'll put all the links in the show notes and shout it out again at the end of the episode. But um, it may turn into a street party if everyone gets released before mm-hmm. then. That could be really cool. But um, the pressure works. The activism works. Um, sometimes it takes way too fucking long. But this is, in a, in a large sense, some pretty fucking good news. Mm. So. Yeah. It, I think one more thing is that this does coincide with um, the UN all getting together to roast Australia for their human rights record. It was also that. There is a theory that this is why they've done this. They've let a bunch of refugees out just before so that they got slightly less to roast us on. <laughs> Literally the day before. It was so L- good, Literally. Though. Like, it, it was, like, basically, like, as soon as the UN meeting started, it was just, like, a round table of every single country going, hey, you guys are fucked. Like, what do you keep doing yeah. this for? <laughs> it was just, it's really satisfying to see, like, countries like Azerbaijan and Zambia and, as, like, Afghanistan basically saying, you love to jail teenagers. Ten-year-olds. What are you... Yeah, ten-year-olds. Like, what? Like what's going on over there? Lane, do you want to... All right. All right. Climate change news. Ah, oh, Lord. I don't. I don't, but I will. <laughs> uh, so, the government has this thing called the Emissions Reduction Assurance Committee, which is in charge of making sure that we're giving money to the right emissions reduction projects um yeah that sounds pretty good we got a lot of of different committees and you'll be glad to know this is in the news because they have stuffed it with pro fossil fuel guys (laughs) every time i have to learn about a new thing like the 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 emissions reduction fund or the arena fund or the carbon reduction funding scheme or whatever it's always because the government has gone how can we make this a gas fund so that's what's happened here. They've they've appointed a guy called David Byers as the chair of the Emissions Reduction Assurance Committee. Um, and they've put another guy in it called Dr. Brian Fisher. And it's just classic. You look at the resumes of these guys. David Byers, former senior executive at the Minerals Council, BHP, and the Australian Petroleum Production <laughs> and Exploration Association. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Who now currently runs... He currently runs... Uh, a company or a body called the CO2CRC, uh, that is a, a carbon capture and storage research and lobbying body. <laughs> now, his job in the Emissions Reduction Assurance Committee, I freaking hate saying that, um, <laughs> is to make sure we're giving our money to the right emissions reduction <laughs> schemes, including so carbon capture and storage. So, he's oh. like... He's like someone that should be dead. Like, if there was justice to the universe, <laughs> he should be dead. He should be dead. He, Absolutely. His hand has been on enough buttons that will literally 
kill people on a long enough timeline that he should be dead. But instead, he's not dead, and he is just working completely contrary to the stated interests Mm -hmm. of what he should be doing. And that's fantastic to me. That doesn't make me crazy at all. (laughs) No, no. I'm I'm well past that line. So, Iraq members, I'm going to call it Iraq now, are prohibited from engaging in any paid employment that conflicts with the proper performance of their duties. And presumably that would include something like working for and lobbying for a company you are giving money to as part of this body. You'd fucking assume so, wouldn't you, Lane? You, you'd bloody hope so. You'd bloody ho- Apparently not, though. Apparently it's fine. Angus Taylor says it's fine. And Angus Taylor is a good man that we've talked about at, at length before. Okay, I'm not even halfway done here. David Byers has written articles before, for News Corp, obviously, with names like, Our fixation on renewables narrows the options. Oh. <laughs> mm-hmm. That is a commitment to being professionally evil. Right? I, I like that, though, because technically he's not wrong. The whole <laughs> thing is su- we are supposed to be narrowing our options, but you can just say it a certain way and all of a sudden it's like, oh, maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> Here's the thing about options, too, is you want to narrow them to the effective ones. But what about the bad ones? Should we keep doing those as well? Hmm. How are we going to get home tonight? Should we drive safely or should we drink drive? Both are options. (laughs) Don't unfairly narrow the options. No. As you said last week, Lang, you're a really good driver when you've had a few. So let's let's, let's leave all options on the table. Absolutely don't do that. That's parody. But he's got a friend. He's got a friend on the board. He's got economist, in heavy air quotes, Dr. Brian Fisher, who's one of those guys that gets paid. This is his career, is he gets paid by fossil fuel companies to write reports which are later proven wrong. (laughs) He's done at least nine of these. And that's not defamation. That is true. So, here's some of his previous works he's done. In 2008, the Minerals Council got him to write a report saying Labor's emission trading scheme was bad. In 2012, Tony Abbott got him to write a report saying the renewable energy target was bad. And just last year, he said Labor's 50% renewables target would wipe out whole industries. It would be economically (laughs) devastating. This is pre-election. But now, post-election, that 50% renewables target is just the baseline assumption for 2030 (laughs) because it's not a very big target. It's easy. I do like the idea is the the, the industries that it will wipe out as essentially just like his grifter industry. He's like, well, we can't have that. He's not going to mention that in the article. But it's like, what will hack economists who have sold their souls do for a living? Hmm? Yeah. Have you thought about us? Not very inclusive. I thought you were an intersectional leftist. <laughs> so this this board doesn't specifically give out the money, but they, heavy air quotes again, independently assess the methods of the Emission Reduction Fund. So they see whether the methods the Emission Reduction Fund are doing to hand out their carbon credits and, and decide who gets some funding are... Are, have integrity and represent real emission cuts. But friggin' you've stuffed it with these guys. They're not going to be independent in any way. Oh, Lord. That's a, a fun thing about... I mean, this is lobbying politics like everything, is you can't really prove that. Like, <laughs> it's a thing where it can be so fucking obvious, but you can't be like... It's not sort of inherently you can just be like, well, see, he can't do that because he feels different ways about it to what he should be doing. Mm. You can just be like, well, it's fucking obvious that he's going to work against everyone's interests, but it's so intangible that it's just like, they get to laugh in your face, basically. They get to sit there, they get to rub their bellies and just laugh while pointing at you personally. It's amazing. 
Right. It's the same thing of like when they go, well, you know, how are you going to prove that this single bushfire is connected to climate change? Hmm? You can't. It's like, how are you going to prove that this exact donation is the thing that caused me to absolutely ruin Australians' carbon like emissions targets? You can't. I, I'll have you know that uh, 170,000 arsonists were arrested in two weeks during those bushfires. <laughs> Those arsonists are working around the clock. <laughs> um, and yeah, at this point, you've got all of these little bodies which are all meant to be keeping each other accountable. But bit by bit, they're all being stuffed with these horrible ghouls. Um, and and so you have an obviously dumb decision like this. And you go, hey, this is an obviously dumb decision. But you've got the energy minister then saying, no, they were chosen for their skills and experience as required by relevant legislation. Who wrote that legislation? It's probably <laughs> someone in government, probably being paid off by the Minerals Council. You've got... Uh, you've got- <laughs> just, I just, can we just linger on that for a little bit? Angus Taylor, the he is the emissions reduction minister said that the people on the committee were chosen for their skills and experience as required by relevant legislation. Hmm. A spokesperson for one of the men in charge of legislation said the legislation is fine. Like, this is the CIA not finding a link between themselves and the crack cocaine epidemic. Yeah. This is- it's it's <laughs> when you get the police to investigate police corruption. See, stuff like this reminds me that the Labor Party are really, like, good and obsessed with, like, branch stacking and, like, you know, stuffing... <laughs> like electorates with Labor people, but they're not really good, which the Liberal Party is really good at, actually stuffing like every committee and legislative yeah. sort of investigative committee with Liberal Party people, to therefore swaying the actual sort of legislative power. So the Liberal Party is much more canny about it. So that's why like whenever I see people like, you know, saying, oh, the, it, it's like always like they, they treat the, the Liberal Party as dunces, that's useful to them hmm. because that means they can do all this in the background. It's like, of course, this this lobbying group is like stacked full of these people. Yeah, Labor Party seem to just want to get in power and get some money. Liberal Party just are laser focused on destroying the earth. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. I think it's mainly because the people that they could potentially like get from industry look at the Labor Party and they go, "Oh, you guys are losers. We're not gonna we're not gonna bother working with you. You have to actually win once in a while." And so that's why they get branch stacking to get. Their people into positions where they can lose elections, whereas the <laughs> Liberal Party get actual business leaders involved. Yeah, it's so so. It's important though that we don't take this in isolation. This isn't just one little body that's had some new guys in, and and oh, they're making some strange decisions here, which they shouldn't be. This is absolutely connected to every single other thing that's been happening for the last decade. Like, we've covered these stories before, we'll put some links in, but this is like when Angus Taylor tried to expand the Clean Energy Finance Corporation, <laughs> so it included gas and carbon capture and storage, okay, because they're clean energy. <laughs> Ignoring the fact that gas is worse than coal in a lot of cases and carbon capture and storage doesn't exist, and I'll cover that later. Uh, this is like when they expanded ARENA, the renewable energy uh, sort of body to cover carbon capture and storage and gas and low emissions technology. This is like their low emissions technology roadmap they put out, which is the only thing we have in place of like an actual renewable emissions target, which is just hydrogen, carbon capture and storage and stuffing about with other things. It's not renewables. These people hate renewables. The low emissions technology roadmap is like precision designed to make it like just shuffling papers so they can look busy. So, oh, yeah. oh, 
Look at this. Cl- climate change happening. Oh, it's nothing. <laughs> it's fucking nothing. David Byers, this guy they have now chairing this committee, thinks hydrogen and carbon capture and storage, like hydrogen made from fossil fuels, coupled with carbon capture and storage, is cheaper than making renewable electricity. Like, which is insane. These guys are held, and this is... I'm, I'm here with my big wall covered in newspaper clippings and bits of red string, and... And I don't even need to connect them because every article says the same thing. (laughs) They all say this government wants to do hydrogen made out of gas with some carbon capture and storage to pretend it's not bad for the environment. Like, they are all saying the same thing. You're going to see people trying to get hydrogen happening. They're going to claim it's green. It's not. They're going to claim it has carbon capture and storage to make it green. It's not. They just want to make the gas. And this is something that's going to keep coming up, so so it's good to know. Basically, hydrogen, and this is, I cannot stress this enough, hydrogen is not an energy source. Hydrogen is not somewhere you get energy, okay? Because it does not naturally exist as pure hydrogen. You've got to make hydrogen gas out of something else. And that means you need energy to make the gas. You can either make it out of, of fossil fuels like methane or coal. You can make hydrogen. Um, of course, you've got to burn the methane and coal, so that hydrogen is dirty hydrogen. It's it's even worse than the original fuel because it's an inefficient process. Or you can make hydrogen out of water using renewable energy. That is green hydrogen. It's still not as good as using the renewable energy directly because it is inefficient, but, but that's green. But either way, you've got to use energy to make the hydrogen, then you burn the hydrogen, and you get the energy back out. So it's not an energy source. It's a way of storing energy of turning your renewable electricity into a gas that you can store for a bit. Yeah, but then once you've got it, you've like got it forever though, right? Like you can just keep using it forever so you don't have to worry about it? I mean, <laughs> like, like, any, like any flammable gas, you use it once, it's gone. <laughs> you put it back in a jar and then you use it when you need it again. Yeah, yeah and then the car, the car runs forever. And so it does have its uses. But here's the thing also, hydrogen is not something you want to be using if you can avoid it. If there's another way to do something, don't use hydrogen. Because not only is it wildly dangerous, like as we saw in whenever the Hindenburg went down, it's, it's, it's crazy explosive. It's less efficient than batteries. You can't pipe it through normal gas infrastructure because it eats its way through solid steel. Um, because it, hydrogen is the smallest molecule. You can't store this shit without really specialized equipment. So it's right. good for it's good for big industries like steel making and stuff and heavy chemical industries. Great. Okay, they use some hydrogen. It's okay maybe for mass storage and export because you can do that in bulk. But it's not good for homes or little cars or things like that. Just fucking use batteries for that. So hydrogen, not the answer. And every bit of hydrogen you make, you've got to make some renewable energy. So make the renewable energy first, and then we can talk about hydrogen. So so this is it is essentially like yet more Scott Morrison middleman like insertion. Mm-hmm. You know? Like you've got green energy, and then you've got something that needs energy. It's like, well, why don't we just connect the green energy to the thing that needs energy? It's like, no, no. Why don't we put a hydrogen plant in the middle and then give it to the thing that needs energy? Yeah. So what these guys do is they go, let's make hydrogen because that's green and let's make it out of gas. Because <laughs> so, so, so it's like smoke and mirrors. It's, it's energy laundering. They go, ooh, green hydrogen. Um, but they don't tell you it was made out of gas. 
So hydrogen itself does burn clean, but yeah. you have to make it first and they want to make it using fossil fuels. Exactly. It's like ah! a, <laughs> It's like a battery doesn't release emissions when you use the battery. But the energy you use right. to charge the battery makes emissions. Ben, any questions? We there will be a test at the end of this. <laughs> <laughs> As someone who hasn't heard me rant about this, Ben. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. So a gas is sort of like somewhere between a... It's like a really light liquid, you're telling me. <laughs> uh, you and Mitch should be friends. <laughs> Lang, have you thought about just doing philosophy instead? I, I wouldn't be able to handle all the philosophers. <laughs> all right. So let me tell you really quickly about carbon capture and storage. It's dumb and shit and it doesn't work. Hell okay, yeah. Okay, moving on. Awesome. Um, no, basically carbon capture and storage is where you get carbon dioxide that you've released from your power plant or, or whatever and you, you bloody stuff it underground you try and stuff it underground and then the problem is solved forever that's literally just dusting something under a carpet <laughs> it is it is and instead of a carpet you have australia's groundwater oh god oh god <laughs> and instead of a carpet you have leaky bedrock um, and instead of dust, you have bajillions of tons of highly dangerous uh, greenhouse gases. This seems fine. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and so Australia loves trying to get carbon capture and storage happening. No one worldwide is doing this at scale. We've made this happen in tiny, tiny amounts, like like research and prototype levels. But whenever they try to do it at scale, it fails horribly and they just release more emissions than they would have if they hadn't bothered. And they go, oh, but, but next time we'll get it. Give us another couple billion. So Santos, and this this is why we're stuffing this company with pro-carbon capture storage guys, is Santos wants to do a huge new carbon capture storage project in South Australia, and they need carbon credits. They're going to get credits for it. They have successfully injected 100 tonnes in a trial in the Moomba plant, 100 tonnes of carbon. They want to do this. They want to scale this up to 20 million tonnes a year. So you see the difference in scale between 100 tonnes and 20 million tonnes. But they go, it's basically the same. We can pull this off. <laughs> so, so look forward to that one. Oh, and Andrew Forrest reckons hydrogen is good, but he's an idiot. This has been a very info-heavy episode. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, for, thanks for coming on and nodding sagely, Ben. <laughs> I can feel myself becoming incredibly smart, and frankly, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, in our breaking news this week, Australian lawyer Greg Shepherd has been arrested in Papua New Guinea. Hmm. Now, you may wonder, dear listener, who is Greg <laughs> Shepherd, and why was he arrested in Papua New Guinea? Well, and why do we care? And why do we care? <laughs> so he to say like straight out first what he was arrested for, he's been accused of stealing money that was designated for a public trust in Papua New Guinea. It was a trust intended to benefit villages affected by mining operations in Western Papua New Guinea. <laughs> so okay. it, it was the operations of the OK Teddy Copper and Gold Mine. This fund was supposed to fund future development projects like roads and schools and health clinics um, for villages that were impacted by the mine. So there's two layers of fucked here. First of all, these international mines are stealing natural resources from Papua New Guinea. This is an ongoing problem that Australia is quite complicit in. And secondly, not only that, he's stealing from the public purse that has been established to attempting to redress 
what they've stolen from the villagers. And I say attempting to redress very loosely. That's no no redress whatsoever. Mm. Now, this may seem like an That's open and evil. shut case of, man, why the hell is this dude stealing from poor, you know, villagers? But this dude has a much funnier history. Um <laughs> Funnier than a mining disaster, Evie? Do go on. (laughs) (laughs) To start off with, like, his worst crimes, he acted as the local director for the Manus Island Detention Centre. So he is directly implicit in Australia's worst human rights abuse. (laughs) He managed the operations and he is directly responsible for hiring the guards that cable-tied detainees to chairs. He oversaw the death of people who died from, you know, curable diseases. He oversaw detainees being sexually harassed and made a lot of money out of it. Stro- that is a strong start, Evie. Mm-hmm. That is- and there's no way this could get worse. That, that's not all. In 2015, <laughs> in 2015, and this is maybe the, the, the second funniest part about this dude, he was caught- it's been funny so far. It, it's pretty grim. <laughs> it's been a fucking really so far. grim. He was caught on camera- explaining how to do crimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. Nice. Very explicitly, in, in, in so many words, explaining how to make bribery payments to government officials. That is so That's good. just bad crime. Like, mm-hmm. like rule number one generally of crimes is just like don't do them when someone is videoing you. Yeah. Uh, just like yeah. a general like, rule of thumb. Don't explain it like, in, in so many words. <laughs> hey, kids, you want to learn how to do some crimes? <laughs> <laughs> When someone comes up to you and they lean in with one shoulder forward and they'll be like, hey, how do you make bribery payments in a step-by-step fashion with actual examples? Don't actually tell them. <laughs> oh, oh, I've got a PowerPoint for this. <laughs> yeah, you're probably being recorded. Welcome to my masterclass. <laughs> <laughs> it was literally a masterclass. Yeah, he's up there. It's fucking David Lynch on this movie one. And then it's like um, Marie Sharapovich for tennis. And then it's like Greg Shepard. It's like, hi. Is there a mine that is stripping natural resources from people and you want a piece of it for yourself? Here's how you talk to the government <laughs> officials about it. Weirdly, it's exactly the same as all the other masterclasses where it's just him being like, 90% of it is being inspired and 10% is creativity. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to really feel like you deserve their money. It's not worth it otherwise. If you don't believe in this, quit now. <clears throat> I- I'm not going to lie. I would read a self-help book by this guy because just the way that he explains it is very concise. In 2015, SBS Dateline released this exclusive into uh, him being taped saying this quite clearly on camera. Um, I I may as well, like, just read out a little bit of the transcript because it's that funny. Um, He's he's just – so this is relevant to the next point um, that I talked about. So his kids are in a band called Shepherd, which is an Australian band famous for only one song, but I'll I'll get to that in a moment. But the way he explains that he set up the band as a family business – and he controls it through a Singapore company called Empire of Song. And he plays a very important instrument in the whole thing. It's called a negotiable instrument. I sign all the checks. Yeah. And at that same point, there was like transcripts of him saying that the way you transfer money to Australia from PNG is, quote unquote, it would have to be something that didn't raise suspicion, something that was ostensibly commercial. The days of banging a million bucks into this secret numbered account in Singapore is over. Oh. So he's basically said on tape that the way that he constructs his operations with his family band is transferring money 
from pantry. <laughs> shoveling ban in a bus. <laughs> it's just the, the floorboards of the bus all just have fucking dirty PNG dollars stashed in suitcases <laughs> underneath. <laughs> he he is the financial controller and manager of the Brisbane band called Shepherd. Now, Ben, do you is Shepherd popular in Brisbane? Would you say? I mean. I'm not a. They're not a local act in the sense that you might say go to Rex on a Thursday night and Shepherd will be playing. Uh, <laughs> the, or they were for a while. Like when they started out, they were still playing local shows and stuff. But they got so bullied by everyone around them that they uh, stopped. <laughs> Which is fantastic. Uh, was it because of the money laundering? I think it was the money laundering. There was a really good period of time where they were just sort of famous enough that they, you know, people knew this about them, but they weren't famous enough that they weren't running their own Twitter account. So, like, <laughs> you could say, hey, your entire life is bankrolled by your dad. And they'd be like, you don't understand our story. <laughs> like, it was, <laughs> it was just uh, a friend of mine, uh, formerly the lead singer of a punk band called Shut Up, Shut Up, Shut Up, would just like berate them every single day and they would get so defensive about it. It was wonderful. <laughs> Bullying is sometimes good. <laughs> I want to say the, the story of the band on their like bio page, which is like, in 1999, BHP started a mine in, in Papua New Guinea. <laughs> when that first bulldozer went through that first village. <laughs> what you, that, mm, they also fucking suck, too. I <laughs> Like, I listened to them for the first time yesterday, and good Christ, they are just... It is the most cynical, vacuous, nothing, empty music hey, presented hey, hey, by hey, hey. human mannequins Look. with calcified fucking brain stems from all the coke all right, they've been doing. All right, all right, all like, right. I love brain-dead, vacuous music, and it, it's not fair to describe their song as that. It's so much worse than that. <laughs> it is. And also, it's just like one... It's one song. They've been popular on this. Like, they're literally, like, one-hit wonders. And, like, their dad describes this song as, quote-unquote, catches the Asian flu. I can't believe that this man said oh, this. Yeah. I genuinely can't tell if he's shit-talking them or not. That's it's hard to say. <laughs> yeah. I think he might be. Like, they are, they are the sound of the hollow joy a tax accountant feels when he finds a loophole. It's just nothing. They are, like, custom-made to be in stadiums as, like, the middle support act. Like, it's all just signifiers of, like, oh, this is epic, and this is this is pretty good, and it's just dead-eyed nothing. But I just fucking hate There was, like, Geronimo was, like, a... Oh, this is going to make me sound so fucking old. It was some sort of meme on TikTok uh, where a bunch of teens <laughs> were just, like, playing it and then doing a, like fucking impression of a really basic millennial enjoying the song. <laughs> the most brutal own of just being there being like, oh, this is catchy. <laughs> the song is essentially them saying the words, hey, Geronimo, over and over and over again. Uh, there's a little bit in the Wikipedia article here. <laughs> oh, I hate this so fucking much. The title <laughs> is a reference to the famous Apache military leader Geronimo and the custom of yelling his name before doing a courageous act. In the song, the courageous act is diving down a waterfall. I don't really understand how you evoke that sentiment <laughs> in like a song that's just like, we're having fun. You're having fun. Everyone's having fun. This song is fun. <laughs> All of their songs are like that. I don't know why I did this to myself, but yesterday I listened to a bunch and they're just like, they've got like chanting in some of them as well. Like, you know, like Vanessa Amorosi in the like early 2000s would have parts in her songs where she's like, hey, oh, mama, oh, eh. and it's just like, oh, okay, I guess we're doing that bit. They're still doing that in the year of our Lord 2021. It's basically an album that's meant to be like everyone's supposed to be singing along to it while taking 10 pingers at Meredith. 
But <laughs> also, like, it, it makes me laugh because they're constantly dressed as if they are 40-year-olds at Meredith. Like, just <laughs> several <laughs> cycles behind what is actually trendy as festival wear, but they're still like, oh, yeah, we're in it. We're really going well. Like, you know, we've got another album coming out. They do actually have another album coming out in February, which makes – Oh, yes. This entire debacle extremely funny because they're trying to promote it. Everyone's like, hey, so how about that blood money? Yeah, they <laughs> sound like money laundering. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone out at these music festivals being like, oh, it's really important we care about the environment. They're like, whoa, we've got so much in common because our dad destroyed the environment. <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing that really gets me the most about Shepard, the band, and like, you know, tied in with their dad is they are the most obvious, hilarious example of generational wealth mm-hmm. and benefiting from their dad just having a shit ton of money and saying, hey, can you get my kids onto the AFL grand final? Yeah. With <laughs> enough money, you can l- make anything happen. You can get ARIA rewards just by pumping just laundered crime money into things. I, like, there's no, I don't, you know how people try and sort of argue that like good art has to come from struggle in some way. But, you know, like, <laughs> this is the, like, Maybe evidence that that's true. Like, they've had not to struggle in the slightest because their whole entire career has been bankrolled. They've never had to work for it. They just got given a bunch of expensive hats and got put on the radio. And then the music sounds like nothing. So maybe we should, like, torture people just a little bit just to kind of get the art, like, a little bit nice. (laughs) Torturing rich people? I'm on board. I think it it just proves as well, like, you know, online bullying isn't real. You have to bully in real life. (laughs) (laughs) The punk singer... Wasn't doing enough. It needed to be in person. You need to get to the gigs and throw tomatoes like in the good old days. It would harden them up. Fucking, uh, one of my exes used to go to shows that Andrew Stockdale, is he the wolf mother guy or the other one? Yeah, he's the wolf mother guy. <laughs> she used to see him around all the time and would just hurl abuse at him uh, every time that she saw him. <laughs> did, did his music get better? Oh, no. His music got much worse, actually. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, Look up new Wolf Mother song sometime for your own edification. No. Isaac fact-checking us. Don't do that. Warning, this podcast does not condone looking up new Wolf Mother songs. (laughs) I just was looking up. The OK Teddy mining disaster was one of, if not the most damaging environmental mining disasters ever. Oh, cool. It just devastated large amounts of Papua New Guinea because they just released shitloads of toxic mine tailings into this river system for decades and continue to do so. Um, and the, that that company was, was started and owned by BHP. <laughs> I do like that this story doesn't run the risk of having to have a chat about like, hmm, should we separate the art from the artist? <laughs> 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 no, <laughs> fuck them. <laughs> These are just, it's very, they are unfortunate people making unfortunate music bankrolled by a very unfortunate human being. Like mm. on the on the topic of if there was cosmic justice or the old Greek gods, he'd be dead. Like it's I just, like to loop back, like every time you hear Geronimo from now on or any of their other hits like Die Young, Symphony, <laughs> Coming oh, Home no. or Learning to Fly. Um, which you'd be happy to know the lyrics are predominantly die young or symphony or <laughs> learning to fly mm-hmm. over and over. Um, that it was, yeah, bankrolled by someone who stole money from a fund set up for schools and health clinics for fuck's sake. That is that is an evil that you would write into a story to very quickly hand wave. You should hate this guy. He's the antagonist. <laughs> you could... Uh- Absolutely destroy someone at a festival who was on acid dancing along to that song by telling them that. 
So Prime Minister Scott Morrison, bloody daggy dad that he is, he's bloody gone and put his foot in it again. Yeah. Ben, what what do you reckon of our our Prime Minister Scott Morrison? Just to, so I can see how, so I can feel out this segment. He's not a person. He's a fucking ghost. He is a hungry ghost clutching at being liked. Uh, and he is <laughs> failing to find it. He's the fucking worst. Like, I, we've spoken about this on Budra a little bit. Let, like, he might not be as actively malicious or as evil, perhaps, as some of our former prime ministers, but he is so psychopathically not a person that it, it just, it's infuriating. <laughs> like, he is so willing to change his image. Everything he does is such a fucking stupidly obvious put on from the fucking hats, the board shorts, mm-hmm. to the making the chicken right? coop with some terrible circular saw technique. Like, he's just a fucking... <laughs> like, he's just a, not there. Uh, like, he could just come out on stage and do the opening monologue from American Psycho and all the reporters would be like, yep, that checks out. Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> and it's just... Uh, it's it is There is nothing there to like about him. The only reason that some people do like him is that he's a perfect machine for pissing off, you know, greeny long hairs like us. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, there's no positive qualities to him yeah it's only they like the negative things about him which is ability to enrage people it's not that he brings anything good to anything yeah mclean made a really good point a little while ago that like the reason why some people don't find his smirk infuriating and want to punch him is like they do but it's because it's directed at us so mm. in the same way that we would love someone to get up and you know like uh, call Joel Fitzgibbon a cunt into the Hansard like <laughs> we would love that even though we know it's uncouth it's like they like Scott Morrison for the same reason yeah um, I've, got, I've got my own theory as well like on your like but he, he is he is just a human photo opportunity he's a press release of a yeah. man Everything that he does is designed. Like I think he's got like the almost like a Trump-like instinct for doing this, but it's designed to never help or hurt him. It's just <laughs> always middle of the road. So like what we're going to talk about next is something that the people that were always going to hate him now like still hate him, but the people that support him and like him don't have to change their opinion either. Like he moves the needle in absolutely no way. The needle is fucking stuck fast. He's a huge fan of doing the, um, I've already answered your question after he has in no way answered a question. (laughs) He's just sort of like said some words that have had no effect because he's not moving that needle in the slightest. And then afterwards be like, um, I said 15 to 20 words and I think that's enough. <laughs> I love how we have the tradition before every story of Scott Morrison about just ragging on him without context for a good five minutes. I think Fucking that's important. A. Yes. So the reason why he's brought up in this episode is because um, Invasion Day is coming up and there's been some hullabaloo in the sports world. And he has, for some reason, been asked his opinion on something yet again. And that's a mistake that Australian <sighs> journalists keep making. But in regards to Australia Day, he has said, quote, it's all about acknowledging how far we've come. When those 12 ships turned up in Sydney all those years ago, it wasn't a particularly flash day for the people on on, on those vessels either. (laughs) This is in reference to the ongoing, like, Indigenous genocide. Like, every genocide has two sides, guys. Come on. (laughs) So, for a start, this is my thing. It was 11 ships. But beyond that, just that, like like we said at the start of the pod, the, the Queenslandness that we want to get into podcasts, he's doing it as well. It wasn't a particularly flash day. For the, you've never said that before in your life, cunt. You workshop that like- phrase over the course of a month to arrive at, like, I need, like, some folksy-sounding understatement. How can I fucking say this? Like... 
Except without the fucking. <laughs> I need a way to compare the convicts who turned up with the indigenous people who were wiped out. Neither of them had a flash day. <laughs> it's just the entire clip as well of him at this uh, press conference is just a weird, like you said, Ben, a rambling, incoherent mess where nothing happens. You can see him scrambling for signifiers and for key words, but he's not connecting him in any way. But the reason why he was at a press conference talking about some vague number of ships that started the whole mess of Australia was... Welcome to Mitch's Sports Corner. Fuck you, Evie. It's my time. Can't believe he stole this from me. Bam! It's because you wanted to be gossipy about Shepard. Yeah! <laughs> um, so this whole thing kicked off because Cricket Australia decided not to use the term Australia Day in any of its big bash league promotion, whatever the fuck that is. That sounds like a like the bring back the biff type thing. I don't no, know. it's the... Okay. I assume it's good. Shut up. Let me explain okay. what big bash league is. So sorry to the cricket fans who have to listen to Mitch talk about cricket in this disrespectful way. Um, it's so good. <laughs> so it ba- so exciting. A big Bash is basically, it's a shortened version of what is the one day version of cricket. Um, it's Except it's down to like, you can play it in like an afternoon. It's just a set of 20 overs with each side. It's a lot of fun and spectacle. It's very commercially like lucrative as well. So this is actually a really big decision to like be to make a stand to not use the term Australia Day, especially from mm. a organization that has been in quite a lot of hot water in the past due to, you know, a lot of social reasons. Um yeah. for them to actually decide that is a big deal. So sorry, but the, the main thing is the Big Bash League happens on Invasion Day every year. It's part of the public holiday. Yes, that's stuff, right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. And so so Cricket Australia reached this decision after consultation with their Indigenous Advisory Committee. Like that that is what that committee is there for. Yeah. And there's been some really good interviews all over the place. Like I mean just just chuck a Google while you still can. Um <laughs> there is like all of these, like Cricket Australia coming out saying like, you know, we don't, as sports people, we don't choose to be role models, but we can choose to be good or bad ones, which is fucking amazing. Mm, mm. Um, they're talking about like how they want, they're doing it specifically to bring recognition to Indigenous affairs, but also to set a good example, but also because they do know that some of their players and people watching actually feel like, you know, pain, legitimate pain and distress about quote-unquote Australia Day, so they don't want to include it. And that's, like, fucking amazing. I just want to also just take this back a little bit meta. Some context to what is happening with Australia Day and Invasion Day this year. There has been a national advertising campaign for Australia Day, which is extremely cringe. It is not just TV. It is posters, like billboards, um, electronic ads on bus stops. One of the ads that I saw was, I'm a migrant and I'm uh, – like it, it was a woman in the ad. It was like I'm a second-generation migrant and I'm here with my wife and we have children and I really – I'm so happy about Australia Day because we feel like, you know, we're part of this country. And it's just – it's very cynical in its direction because you can see who they've selected to be on these ads mm. to try and say actually – all these people think Australia Day is good, so all you lefties better think Australia Day is good as well. It's very directly targeted as damage control for how much everyone fucking hates Australia Day now. Yeah. What do you ben. what do you hate migrant women? Yeah. <laughs> ben, you were featured on one of those billboards, yeah? What was the experience? <laughs> um, it was great that I got to tell my story. Uh, truly amazing. 
I said, yeah, it's it's grouse that being in this country because I don't have to wear a shirt most of the time, and that's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> I've been getting those as like uh, targeted like Instagram, Facebook ads. I, I think I even got mm-hmm. served one as a, like a pre-video thing on Twitter as well. Uh, it just feels like if you have to tell people, hey. Please think about loving your country. Uh, you're maybe not doing your country correctly. <laughs> it, it feels like very Scott Morrison. Like, okay, he's he's probably not the mastermind behind this, but it is his sort of like the whole marketing shtick that like his only way to respond to a bad situation is to basically try and bombard everyone with as much ads as possible about how it's actually good. Absolutely. Instead of changing anything real. Is, are they government ads or is it a non-government body that's doing it? I just keep seeing it as like the some group to celebrate Australia Day or some shit. It's run by the Australia Day Council. So that's a government body. The, the National Australia Day Council is a not-for-profit government-owned company based in Canberra, overseen by the Prime Minister. Yeah, right. This country fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing I always keep coming back to. Like, we just, we're really sad as well. Like, we're evil, but we've just got such a low <laughs> class of villain. <laughs> There's no self-esteem. Just like, oh, guys, yeah. come on. Just like, like, like us, please. The, the strategic focuses for the NADC are meaning, to promote the meaning of Australia Day and being Australian, <laughs> participation, to unite all Australians through celebration and reflection. I should point out there's a typo in this sentence. <laughs> Recognition, to acknowledge active citizenship and achieve. What, do, what is active citizenship? Does that mean you just walk around with a flag? It's buying yeah. one pie every day, I think. <laughs> Evie, have you seen Starship Troopers? I'm doing my bit. (laughs) Evie, would you like to know more? Oh, it's showering with 100 nude people. (laughs) Australia Day participation is awakening Mitch's sexual urges at about 11 or 12 with that shower scene. Yeah, I think that was was for a lot of us very formative experience. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe our parents let us watch Starship Troopers because I went back to that recently and that movie's fucking brutal. They thought it was Star Wars. That's why. That's how I got to see it. They're like, have fun. (laughs) It's about space. It must be for kids. <laughs> uh, but so with Cricket Australia doing all of this stuff, Scott Morrison had to get his horrible malformed head back into the media yet again. And he he came out with, it's a bit ordinary for Cricket Australia to be removing the term Australia Day. A bit ordinary, again, like workshop to shit. The line that he said was, Cricket fans would like to see Australia focus a lot more on cricket and a lot less on politics. I, you don't get a choice, sorry, though. Sports is political. That's the, main, that's the main big takeaway, is that if you don't feel like something in your life is political, that's because you're in the most politically comfortable position to consume it. Mm. That's it. But like we just recently had someone at the fucking Sydney Sydney Cricket Ground hurling like racial abuse at one of the players. Love our country. It's that classic thing of when they're on your side of politics, you don't think it's politics. Like if they said Australia Day, that would be political because Australia Day is a political thing now. Uh, the fact that they didn't say Australia Day is also political. It's just political on the side that Scott Morrison doesn't like. And also, like, the cricket team for Australia has been used in political stunts not just by Scott Morrison, but by every single Prime Minister, starting from John Howard. So, yeah. whatever. Like, it's always political. And, like, the idea of representative sport based on geopolitical boundaries is inherently political because that's <laughs> what it is. You are the team for Australia, a political body, or you are the team for Perth. 
a city, like, within a state. Like, that's political. It's all political. There's literally no <laughs> way to avoid that. You are representing a body that is political. It, it always just makes me laugh whenever, like, any sort of uh, incident that happens in Australia or in America, whenever someone's being a racist fuckhead, it's always, like, you know, some shithead in Twitter saying, hey, you guys should stick to sports. Like, I don't want to know about any of this politics. I just just stick to sports. It's like, no, that's <laughs> it, it. By virtue from the ground up, it's always going to be political. And as soon as someone does something political or it's used for political ends, there's no separating the two. Yeah. Why can't a bunch of white people play a sport invented in England against other people who were part of the former British colony on stolen Australian land. Why can't they do that without it being political, guys? <laughs> right. Sponsored by Santos. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, so, I mean, just to just to wrap up this little story, um, just because the that ScoMo would have the fucking gall to say, you know, it, it's a bit ordinary, they're getting political, and cricket fans would like to see Cricket Australia focus a lot more on cricket and a lot less on politics. Scott Morrison, about 12 months ago, while major cities in this country were choking on the smoke of charred koala noses, he had the fucking audacity to just try to distract everyone with the cricket. He had the Australian cricket team pose for a really awkward photo in his backyard, um, and there was one photo where they were all standing around him and looking like, ah, pretty cheery. And then footage came out of the second that photo was taken, and straight afterwards, they all just very quickly move away from him and start talking amongst themselves. <laughs> he also appeared at the cricket ground for a photo opportunity. He was like running Gatorade out to plays and stuff, like waving yeah. to the crowd. How I hurt you, Prime Minister. Loves bloody sport. And he had this quote again, Ben, I think uh, just to your point about the words that he says barely being connected to reality. I do want to read this thing in full. This was his quote last year while we were in the middle of the bushfires and we really didn't know how bad they were going to get. Quote, whether they're started by lightning storms or whatever the cause may be. Our firefighters and all of those have come behind them to support them, whether they're volunteering on the front line or behind the scenes in a great volunteer effort. It is something that will happen against the backdrop of this <laughs> test match. <laughs> But at the same time, Australians will be gathered, whether it's at the SCG or around television sets all around the country, and they'll be inspired by the great feats of our cricketers from both sides of the Tasman, and I think they'll be encouraged by the spirit shown by Australians and the way that people have gone about remembering the terrible things that other Australians are dealing with at the moment. That's one sentence! It's nothing! It's... It's just deranged babbling from someone who, like, I suppose at the time had just gotten back from holiday and was probably still hungover and was just like, oh, I... He'd been pushed out there with a post-it note that just said, Bushfires, Australia, cricket. The second half of this, the latter third, perhaps, the third act of that run-on sentence, <laughs> where he's saying, I think they'll be encouraged by the spirit shown by Australians, blah, blah, blah. So the, the, the party that is mentioned that I think that sentence applies to is Australians. I think Australians will be encouraged by the spirit shown by Australians and the way people have gone about remembering the terrible things that other Australians are dealing with. 
<laughs> what are you talking about? I think he was saying the cricketers would be encouraged by the spirit of Australians. What? See, so you... when these cricketers do well, really, it's our country no, that no, is no. winning. They'll be well, maybe they'll be inspired by the great feats of our cricketers from both sides of the Tasman, and I think they'll be encouraged ah. by the spirit shown by Australians. So maybe, right. oh, maybe it is like an Ouroboros of fuckheadery, but like mm-hmm. the, the the cricketers are inspiring us, and we're therefore inspiring the cricketers. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about the firefighters actually doing it. They're fucking. Who gives a shit about them? One of them was mean to me. But no, they're inspiring <laughs> cricketers, so that's important. It's like a, Actually, yeah. a sort of inspiration 69 type scenario. Yeah. <laughs> it's everyone charging up Goku's spirit ball so he can win the big bash. No, you can't use that. It'll start another bushfire. It's very dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> but just for, for, this, for this fuckhead to say all of that and then barely a year on to not only talk about how, oh, I think maybe we should take the politics out of cricket, but then, like, to not get much pushback that I saw. That's what that's what really fucking got me as well, of just, like, just, I just want, I'd want journalists and not podcasters to be the ones going, hang on a second, don't you use Cricket Australia as a political tool to get votes when it's expedient for you? Like, because I, I know he'll just give the, like, oh, I, I told you before, the answer's no type of response, <laughs> but I just want one thing like that to happen. Well... That's why we're here. <laughs> Doing God's work. Everyone start a podcast. <laughs> um, just finally as well, um, to round out Mitch's Sports Corner, what a success it was. Shout out to uh, cricketer Dan Christian, who uh, tweeted out, read the room, Mr. Prime Minister. Cricket Australia are leading the way because your government won't. There'll be millions of our kids watching our BBL games on the 26th of January, and they'll see us taking a knee against racism and promoting inclusion for all. Take note. Fuck yeah, Dan. Good for you. Go off, King. It's always nice when you see like an Australian sports person just not being a shit. It's a delightful surprise yeah, every it's, time. It's, it's genuinely yeah. satisfying. Even better, like actually acknowledging the fact that they do have a lot of sway and standing up and saying stuff. Yeah. It, it makes me feel better for the existence of Andrew Bogut. So. <laughs> We've got to counterbalance that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's just a, the, a weird little thing about it as well is that we do talk about like when when some people say like you know keep politics out of music or art but there is somewhat of an expectation that artists are political in some sense like the the debate isn't why are you putting politics into it it's like oh you're doing that thing that artists do but the only reason they can really do that is because like they have a platform like it only matters when they have a platform they have an expression to do it in but they have a platform but we don't we should talk about sports people in the same way the biggest sports people in this country have massive fuck off platforms like heaps more than us and they should be using it well i I, I just don't understand why it is a an odd or surprising i mean i did used to admittedly think it was but no for real they they are people inside a political system and they have a platform to use it, I 100% think they should. And that's why I like shouting out Dan Christian. I want more sports people to do it because, yeah, you can. You should. Don't be a shit. Mm. Just don't be a shit. Shoutouts this week. The group Hospo Voice have a wage tracker app. It's called Mobilize and it helps you track your hours and what your wages should be. Uh, it's extremely useful for people in precarious and casual employment. So go check out the app. It's called Mobilize. Put your details in there. And if you're getting screwed over by your boss, go to Hospo Voice and get what's yours. 
We've talked about in the last previous episodes the robo-debt class action settlement and how a lot of people weren't satisfied with the result. So if you got a not-my-debt class action settlement notice, you can actually object to it. Um, we'll put the link in the show notes, but there are instructions as to how you can put in a submission to say, I wasn't happy with my settlement, I got pennies on the dollar, and I want actual someone's day in court. So, yeah. You could officially go to them and say, I don't think that settlement was good enough. No, damn it. Hang on. (laughs) That settlement was not good enough. Fuck yeah, professional McLean. Edit that properly. Um, It's also important to notice that that objecting to it doesn't mean you're rejecting any uh, offer that you got. So, you don't lose anything. And uh, finally, Ben. Thanks for coming on, man. That was so much fucking fun. Hey, thank you so much for having me. That was a delight. What are your plugs? What are the socials? What would you like our listeners to check out? Um, I am on the podcast, Bunta Vista. It's very dumb. Uh, You (laughs) can find us on basically any of the podcast platforms by simply Googling the words Bunta Vista because I don't think anything else uses that combination of words. (laughs) It's very smart. Yeah, we really thought hard about that one. Uh, it was <laughs> much more unique when we had the longer version of the podcast name, but then people expected too much of us, and then we dropped the last two words. And now here we are with a completely inscrutable punless name that makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're thinking of shortening us to just not good. <laughs> <laughs> you really want to set clear expectations. <laughs> Man, thanks for coming on. That was great. No worries. Uh, do you want me to read this little uh, this little thing here? Hell yeah. Uh, make it make it natural though. Pretend that it's <laughs> off the top of your head and you really mean it. I will. Watch how natural this is. Thanks again for listening to Not Good Enough. You can get in touch with us, that doesn't include me, on all the socials at Not Good Enough Pod, or email us, that doesn't include me, at Not Good Enough at ProtonMail.com. Okay. <laughs> uh, just a quick correction. You, you uh, did the socials get that are, wrong. Uh, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> the, the socials are at Not Good Pod, and the email is Not Good Pod at ProtonMail.com. Did, did I say the word enough? But I reckon, each considering time? you're not a host, that's fuck. No, <laughs> uh, it's all right. Fire me if you must. This is at will employment, I believe. So you can just let me go. If you. <laughs> if you have the handle not good enough pod or the not good enough pod at protonmail.com email address, please forward us all the messages we might get from this. That'd be greatly appreciated. Does anyone have not good enough pod, the app? I'm assuming not. I think we just made it short. If not, I'm going to take it. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> let's see what Start happens. Start a competing pod. <laughs> <laughs> not good enough this week was recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri, Tarabul, and Yagara people. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded.